What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam, podcast fam? Welcome to the DFS Lab. This will be our second DraftKings roster build of the week. I am your host, JM to Win. Today, I am also your guest, JM to Win. I uh, got late notice that Keegan won't be able to do today's show, so I'm flying solo today. So this will be kind of unique because the concept of this show is typically that I've been playing DFS for a long time. Keegan's newer to DFS and a more casual player learning the ropes and trying to become better and better at DFS. And so typically we build these rosters and it allows for a lot of back and forth. So what I will do today is I'm going to build a roster, but I'm going to try to, I didn't come in with a game plan of exactly what I'm going to build. So that will allow me to kind of poke around on the slate and walk through some of my thoughts on spots and hopefully give you a look inside of my own mind of how I'm seeing the week six slate, but also more importantly, because DFS is a strategy game, DFS is a game of how we put together the puzzle each week. So more importantly, uh, give you an opportunity to see me poking around on the questions in the way that I poke around on them when I build practice rosters. So it's just me. With that, let's get started. One week season. All right, so we have my DraftKings lineup build on the desktop. So uh, we'll probably be a shorter show today than normal because we don't have, typically Keegan and I do a lot of back and forth at the top talking DFS strategy theory. He asks questions, I respond with what I see and what I think. Uh, if you are looking for more of that, the Angles podcast is a great place to go. Angles podcast, so I just said, DFS is a, a strategy game, and it's a game of putting together the unique puzzle that each week provides. Well, in that context, we are best served going into each weekend knowing what the picture on the puzzle box looks like. And that's sort of the idea behind the Angles podcast that's recorded later in the day on Friday. Typically, actually, this, this podcast that you're watching right now is released after the Angles podcast. So if you're watching this, listening to this, Angles podcast is probably live. You can find it on the one week season podcast feed. And I actually might be doing it uh, via video today. So you can potentially find it on the OWS YouTube channel as well. Uh, and in that, we'll talk about the picture on the, on the puzzle box for week six, and then also work through some of the more core components. But uh, right now we are going to go ahead and build a roster. So this gives us an opportunity to talk through some of the things I'm seeing on this week's slate. And actually, let me talk about this. So one of the things that I try to do throughout the week, if you've been around OWS for a long time, you've heard me talk about this a lot, but I do plenty of practice builds. And what I mean by practice builds is it's, it's rosters that I'm not building with the intention of entering them into contests, which takes some of the pressure off. It, it prevents me from saying, oh, well, I can't play this guy or I don't want to play this guy. What I'm also trying to do, though, is I'm building rosters in one of two ways. Well, actually, I kind of marry two things. So first off, I try to go game by game. So if you're on the desktop, you can, uh, it's a little more clunky, but you can kind of click on the two teams on the desktop and it only shows the players from that game. If you're on the app on your phone, which is probably how most of you build, you just, you go to the quarterback position and you just click that first game. And what it does is it kind of narrows your focus. And I try to build, I try to go game by game throughout the week. 
and build at least one practice build that is centered around each game. So on a game like Washington and Atlanta, it's easy to say, okay, let me build a Desmond Ritter roster, or let me build even a Sam Howell roster in a, in a not necessarily great matchup. When you get over to some of the games where you don't necessarily want to play the quarterback. So a good example could be New England and Las Vegas. And, and you get to that screen and you're like, Jimmy Garoppolo, Mac Jones, I actually did, did build a practice Mac Jones roster as well that I really like. But uh, you get to these games where it's like, I'm probably not playing either of these quarterbacks. Well, you don't necessarily have to force yourself to do a practice build, or I don't necessarily force myself to do a practice build around that particular game. But I will then say, okay, what pieces can I pull from this game? And as I do this, what I'm doing is... Some of these practice rosters of mine take 45 minutes to an hour to build. So it's not like I'm just going through and clicking the buttons, which is where we get ourselves into trouble. It's, that's where we end up very much on the surface in our builds is if we're just going through and clicking buttons. So instead, I'm trying to really ask questions and force myself to make decisions and, and clear out my thoughts on individual plays, individual spots. So if I'm on this New England, Las Vegas game, I'm saying, okay, what are, and I say this all the time, if we can boil things down to raw numbers, we can demystify things a little bit. People always ask, is this, is this guy a good play or is this roster construction approach a good idea? Does this block of players make sense? Well, turn it into raw numbers. So Mac Jones at his price tag at 5K, you need two things. You need him to A, put up 20 plus points and B, there's a couple other guys with mobility down here in the low 5Ks. There's Desmond Ritter, there's Josh Downs. So B, you need Mac Jones to outscore those guys. Otherwise, it's somewhat pointless to be playing Mac Jones. You're taking on the risk of an offense that has looked really bad, an offense that even if they have a good game could skew toward the run, and a quarterback who needs a lot more to go right in order to hit. So you don't necessarily want to play Mac Jones if you're like, hey, he could get me 20 points because like, yeah, so could other guys. And, and Matthew Stafford isn't that much more expensive than Mac Jones. Joe Burrow isn't that much more expensive than Mac Jones. And we want to think about what we're getting for our salary, but we also want to recognize that the raw score matters quite a bit, right? And so if Burrow puts up 27 or Stafford puts up 27 and you're happy with your 20 points or 18 points for Mac Jones because it saved you some salary, well, that's probably not helping you win a tournament. So you want to tell the story then of really you want Mac Jones to throw for 300 yards and three touchdown passes. So then you start saying, okay, can he do that? And who would those, who would that production go through? And on top of that, how, how much are we getting right when we get this right? So we already need a lot of things to come together for a Mac Jones play to be useful. We need the Patriots to finally get their offense on track on the road against a Raiders defense that isn't good, but has been better, a little bit better than expected. Again, not to say that they're a tough defense to face, but it's not necessarily just a gimme spot for this down bad Patriots offense. And then on top of that, even if Mac Jones has the good game, it's like, do you, I'll say it like this on the bucks. We know that if Baker Mayfield has a good game, Mike Evans or Chris Godwin are almost certainly involved in that with Mike Evans likely out this week. We know that Chris Godwin is involved if Baker Mayfield's having a good game on the Patriots. It could be any number of guys. So you could get the game environment, right? You could get the, way that that production flows, right? In, in other words, it goes to the quarterback instead of just to the running backs. Uh, and then you could still get the pairing partner wrong. So not to say that that couldn't end up being what's required to win a tournament. Maybe Mac Jones to Tyquan Thornton does so well 
that the 0.5% of rosters that have that or less than 0.5% of rosters that have that, you can't catch them with any other pairing. Now, that's pretty low likelihood situation to run into. But we want to think through those elements and say, okay, like how, how much how much risk am I exposing myself to on these plays? So I do have, like I said, one Mac Jones roster, one of my practice builds, and I liked it enough that I actually entered it into the slant and set it aside in the play action. So I won't go into all that, but if you've watched or listened to my stuff this year, you kind of know my roster construction and uh, roster selection approach. So in other words, I set that aside as one that I might consider for single entry three max play. It doesn't mean that I will be using it. I would venture to guess that I probably won't. I'll probably have other rosters that stand out to me more than my Mac Jones roster. But on that Mac Jones roster, because of the amount of things I need to get right or the amount of things that need to break my way that all need to line up in order for that Mac Jones play to actually work as a Mac Jones, Hunter Henry roster. Because of that, the rest of that roster is filled up with pretty high confidence pieces. So in other words, most of us start our rosters at quarterback. And so we tend to gravitate toward the higher confidence plays at quarterback. So if I'm taking a lower confidence play at quarterback, A, I know that that's a roster that most people won't build, but then B, if everything lines up where not only do the Patriots have a good game, but then it also comes through the air and then it also comes through Hunter Henry and I get all those things to line up. Well, I don't want a bunch of other high guesswork plays on that same roster. Instead, I want to fill up the rest of that roster with high confidence plays. And so that's what my Mac Jones practice build looks like. But it, it you see how going to one of these games, it forces you down that pathway of asking questions about this player, this player's game environment. And you can kind of, ideally... You're doing it in a, ideally you're trying to find an opportunity to catch and ride the wave. And what I mean by that is you have to get into a particular headspace where you are actually feeling focused, where you're actually feeling inspired to kind of dig into this. And, and you're getting into the point where you're not thinking so much as you're following the thoughts that are developing around particular plays. And that is one of the biggest keys to success in DFS is breaking out of that logical thinking mind where you're just like, well, the stats say this and this and that. And instead you're saying, okay, how could this game develop and how could production develop? And, and what does that mean? Right. All of these questions that we just answered of like, okay, yeah, Mac Jones could hit, but he would need to be this much better than these other plays. And he would need to hit in a way that it all lines up to where you're actually getting the right pairing partner correct as well. And so, if I'm putting him on a roster, what does that mean for, for the rest of my roster? What do, what do I want to do on the rest of my roster? So I go game by game and I do that. And as I'm doing that, I'm also trying to identify the players who I would want to put on a hand-built single entry roster if I were only building one roster on the weekend. So again, I probably like, uh, this is my 10th year playing NFL DFS cumulatively, if we just added up all the slates, cumulatively, probably four to five years of my play has been like literal or almost literal single entry play. And by almost literal, I mean, maybe I had 15 rosters or eight rosters or, or 20 rosters, but, but 90 plus percent of my money for the weekend was on one roster. And so I'm able to kind of, now that I play MME, I'm still able to build my practice builds with that old single entry mindset. And so my practice builds, A, I'm exploring the slate and I'm forcing myself to get onto plays that I wouldn't typically get onto. Uh, so again, going game by game. And if you're in the app, it's different. It's a little bit more visually um, 
the, the flow visually is, is a little bit better. But again, you go game by game and you, and you uh, look through these quarterbacks and then I'll start thinking about the game environment. I'm, if you're listening to this instead of watching, I'm on Detroit Tampa now. So then I'm asking questions about, okay, Goff as a pocket passer on the road against this good Tampa defense that's been actually lights out against the pass this year. What does Goff need at 6,400? He, you know, he needs 30 plus points. And what are the pathways to him getting 30 plus points? And how does that stack up against what else is available on this slate? Do I want to build a golf roster? Can I can I come up with a scenario where a golf practice roster makes sense? Yes, probably. Is it something I'm going to use in tournaments? Probably not. But now I have a different starting point than I would typically have for my rosters. And then I'm assessing the risk on this. And then that leads me to say, okay, well, this is a higher risk play. So then on the rest of my roster, I'm now hunting for my favorite plays or my highest confidence plays, which what that does is by the time I get to the end of the week, I start to have a greater sense of, in my MME play, who I want my highest owned players to be, because I am on these practice builds, A, forcing myself to go game by game and, and see all the angles, but then B, on the other pieces of those rosters, I'm saying, okay, who are the top plays at these positions? And if, if I were then put, if I were hand building this and actually putting this into a contest, who would I be most comfortable playing? So uh, that's kind of the marriage of the two concepts, um, in my practice build. And it leads me to a point where I, I tend to have a good handle on the slate by the end of the weekend. So with that background, I gave that background because I'm building solo, right? So why not spend a little time talking about that? Uh, with that background, let's go ahead. So uh, it's Friday. We'll get deeper into this in the Angles podcast. Uh, Friday, as I record this Friday night or Saturday, as you are presumably, as you are listening to this. Uh, right now, I'm down to five quarterbacks on the slate. It's an interesting slate where Typically, if I have a tight quarterback pool, I have a tight pool of pass catchers as well. This week, I actually have a pretty broad pool of pass catchers because of the, the way that the slate shapes up, what it provides for us. Uh, I have a somewhat narrow pool of running backs and a very narrow pool of quarterbacks. So this is my pool for my, quote, single entry three max play. Uh, it also means that I won't be branching too far outside of this in MME. So the uh, I'll get into the breakdown of how these positions shake out on the angles podcast. I won't spend time on that here, but uh, the quarterbacks that are on my list currently are Justin Fields up at 7,300 Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow in this 63 and 6,100 range. Uh, and then down here in the uh, quarterbacks with some rushing upside at a cheap price tag range, we have Josh Dobbs and Desmond Ritter. So I am going to go ahead and build from this range which is the Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford range. Uh, Stafford, 6,100. Burrow, 6,300. Burrow looked mobile in the pocket last week. He also took off a couple times. He talked this week about once he took off one of those times uh, and ran the ball. It was like a third down and picked up a couple yards. But he said he, he realized like, okay, his calf was basically feeling a lot better. And that gave him the confidence the rest of that game to move around. Two weeks ago, he looked as bad as he had looked at any point in the season, but he came out of that game without any setbacks. So if you think about a body recovering, that was it was easy to look at that and be like, man, Burrow has a long way to go, but that didn't necessarily signify that he had a long way to go. And so he continued to get better throughout the week after that week four game when he looked so bad and he looked so out of shape with his, with his leg. He was unable to move at all in the pocket, but that lack of mobility that week basically allowed the calf to continue healing heading into week five uh, came out of that game without any setbacks and looked good in that game. So I would expect, you know, the calf is still an issue, but I would expect it to be 
something we don't necessarily have to worry about. Obviously, re-aggravation re is a risk. He was dealing with this throughout August and basically missed all of training camp and then came to play week one, and then it, it got re-aggravated early in the season. So that could happen, but uh, Burrow is a sharp play here. Stafford is a sharp play here. Uh, I am going to go ahead and build a Stafford roster. I think that Burrow will be a little bit more popular this week, even though it looks like T. Higgins will be coming back. Jamar Chase will be more popular than than Stafford's pass catcher. So uh, I'm going to go ahead with a Stafford build. And in terms of stacking partner with Matthew Stafford, there's it's easy to look at the price tags and just get scared away. But again, we want to think about that. We want to recognize, I brought this up several times this season, but we got 34 points from Adam Thielen at 3,900. We got 28 points from Tank Dell at 3,600. We've gotten a lot of 30, 28 to 30 pointers in the 5K and 6K price range at wide receiver. So you don't necessarily want to, the salary matters, but any 30 point score is valuable. And so we say that all the time that there's a certain point, there's a certain scoring threshold where we want to let go of our concerns about point per dollar scoring a little bit and worry more about just the raw score that we are getting. Now, if you are paying down for guys who cost 3K and their good game is going to, you're going to be happy if they get 12 to 13 points and you're doing that in order to pay up for a Cooper Cup. Well, now you're actually hurting yourself. Now you're saying Cup has to have his highest end game and this cheap guy has to have his highest end game. And you're still kind of below the pace from a, from a salary multiplier standpoint of getting to a 200 plus point score. But if you can find these, maybe it's a cheaper guy who can go for 20 points and is just sort of mispriced, which there are still some of those at this point in the season. Uh, or if it's kind of these, these 4K, 5K guys who have a much higher ceiling than people are necessarily giving them credit for, they're capable of scoring 30 plus points, then getting those kind of locked, not locked in, but higher probability 30 points from a guy like Cooper Cup can be really valuable. Uh, really quickly, one of the, uh, I'll be digging into this in the player grid this week on one week season. I'll be talking about it, I'm sure, in the Angles podcast as well. But one of the stats that I like to lean on is, it's a stat that I've not seen anyone else use. It's it's pretty intuitive though, and it's somewhat obvious if you think about it. Uh, and, and a lot of like the DraftKings pricing algorithm seems to take this heavily into account. And um, this is essentially part of the thought process industry-wide, even if people don't boil it down to this for the most part. But that is pre-touchdown fantasy scoring. Why that's important is because touchdowns are one of the most high-variance events in football. We've talked in the past about uh, Mike Evans had a season with two touchdown catches, and he's had seasons with, I think, as, as many as 14 touchdown catches. Uh, last year, Austin Eckler was coming off of what was like an 18 touchdown, 20 touchdown season in 2021. And then he went the first, I think it was the first three games without scoring a touchdown. And it was like, oh my gosh, Austin Eckler doesn't score touchdowns anymore. And then, you know, the season continued and he still continued to produce touchdowns the way we expect from Austin Eckler. So touchdown variance is something that we want to lean into where we can recognize, yes, we can look at red zone usage and inside the 10 usage, and that can help point us toward how likely a player is to add touchdowns to their pre-touchdown fantasy scoring. We can look at a team's implied total or a team's scoring expectations on the week and understand which players are likelier to ascend above their pre-touchdown fantasy scoring. And we can also look at matchups to understand which players are likelier than normal to outproduce their typical pre-touchdown fantasy scoring. But 
looking at pre-touchdown fantasy scoring, especially because the DraftKings pricing algorithm can be influenced by recent production to, it seems, a small extent, but to an even larger extent, ownership seems to weigh into the DraftKings pricing algorithm. And when a player has recently been putting up bigger DraftKings scores, then their ownership tends to go up. And so pricing gets inflated, sort of artificially inflated when a player has been scoring touchdowns recently and players' ownership and prices tend to drop when a player has not been scoring touchdowns recently. So understanding pre-touchdown fantasy scoring or, or, or diving into pre-touchdown fantasy scoring can allow us to make sharper decisions than the field that are less based on what happened recently and more based on what's likeliest to happen moving forward. So uh, this is, you know, we can look at Cooper Cup and be like, well, he's more expensive than Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase just put up 55 points uh, or he's more expensive than AJ Brown, who has a 40 pointer on the year. And we can kind of go down the list um, in terms of pre-touchdown fantasy scoring uh, Jamar Chase, you know, obviously T Higgins missing uh, a game or what was it? A game and a half. Uh, so far this year, Jamar Chase averaging 19.6 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. That's absolutely out of this world elite levels. To put that into context, Tyreek Hill is averaging 19.3 since joining the Dolphins at the start of last year. Uh, last year, Jamar Chase, 16.9 pre-touchdown DraftKings points. Obviously, we like the larger sample size because the larger sample size has less noise in it. So, uh, Jamar Chase tends to be in this offense, which hasn't changed. The pieces haven't changed. Uh, tends to be kind of around that 17 pre-touchdown fantasy points per game mark. Wide receivers on DraftKings because of, we won't get into the whole discussion, but because of the way that the running back position has developed over the last three to five years in terms of how running backs are deployed in the NFL in, in this current state, and because of PPR scoring on DraftKings, Wide receivers are typically going to outproduce running backs in pre-touchdown fantasy scoring. Some running backs are going to have more touchdown opportunities than wide receivers. You know, you're, you're going to get those 18 touchdown running backs where you're not typically going to get that from a wide receiver. So that's where the balance comes in for running backs. Uh, Josh Jacobs was one of the top guys uh, you know, to throw out Christian McCaffrey, but uh, Josh Jacobs was one of the top guys last year for running backs at 16.2 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. Uh, so Jamar Chase in the 17 point range, it gives you a sense of how elite he is, even with T Higgins on the field. So I say all that to say Cooper Cup, since the start of 2021, 21.3 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. So just out of this world production, he was at 19.5 last year on a team that really didn't have a secondary weapon and teams could more fully focus on him. So, uh, Two years ago, this was a better all-around offense, and Cooper Cup had that even better season where, you know, over the last three years, he's at, well, one game from this year, but over the last three years, he's at 21.3. So I, I didn't even calculate his 2021 numbers. That means that they were that much higher if last year was 19.5. So uh, probably in that 22, 22 and a half point range in 2021. So Cooper Cup, I say all that to say Cooper Cup maybe doesn't have the explosive score from anywhere on the field upside that Jamar Chase has. But then also that means that Jamar Chase's, you know, 70 yard gains are baked into this. So the games when he doesn't have those 70 yard games, his pre-touchdown fantasy scoring goes down a little bit more. And Cooper Cup kind of remains 
in this, you know, low twenties, super, super high teens type of range. So um, I think that it can be easy to discount because we we've, we've had Cooper cup sort of in the player pool since 2021. It can be easy to discount how valuable he can be. And I think that he's a guy who will generally go overlooked because uh, people would prefer to pl pay, play Jamar chase for a little bit less in salary. That's where the eye will be drawn toward this week. Uh, Cooper cup. It's easy to then just be like, Oh, well, he's going to score, you know, in the low twenties to the, maybe the high twenties and chase is going to score 30 to 50. Uh, and maybe that happens. Right. But also chase has a lot of games of 15, 17, 19 points. He doesn't score the touchdowns and, you know, doesn't have the explosive plays or not enough explosive plays and sort of ends up in that range. So um, very much like Jamar chase this week, this is not talking down Jamar chase. It's just, drawing a comparison between Chase and Cooper Cup and pointing out that Cup is also a really good play. So on a Stafford roster, I'm going to put Cooper Cup on here. I can also play Puka Nakua uh, to a lesser extent. I could play Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby, still a valuable piece in this offense. His chances of soaking up high volume are lower with Cup and Nakua on the field, especially in a match. We want to think about all these things, right? In a matchup against Arizona where it's not like they'll necessarily be able to consistently prevent both Cup and Nakua from getting open. Therefore, there are fewer opportunities, fewer reasons for Stafford to dump off the short area throws to Higby, dump off the short area throws to Kyron Williams. So my preference in this spot is Cup and Nakua. Uh, all the pieces on this Rams offense are interesting to me this week. I'll have some exposure to all of them. But in terms of hand building and saying, hey, how do we want to build this, this practice roster? Uh, this is an interesting way to go. Next question I would ask myself here is, do we need a bring back? The answer is no. In other words, could the Rams win 31 to 14? Yes. <laughs> could the Rams win 31 to 13 and the Cardinals are only scoring one touchdown? Yes. So we don't need a bring back. At the same time, are there viable bring backs on the Cardinals side? Absolutely. Concentrated offense, somewhat underpriced. Uh, in fact, we can go down to some of the tight end pre-touchdown fantasy scoring numbers that I calculated uh, to put some context on Zach Ertz. TJ Hawkinson, 6,500, uh, averaging 11.3 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game since he joined the Vikings. And for the tight end position, that's excellent, 11.3. Uh, Sam Laporta, 10.8 on his, in his young career. Dallas Goddard, going back to the start of last season, 10.1 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. Uh, Evan Ingram, 9.7 since he joined the Jags. Uh, then you've got guys in the 4K range, Cole Komet, only 6.7. So we see his upside is, is tends to be very much tied to touchdowns. Hunter Henry, 6.1. Again, touched, uh, uh, upside very much tends to be tied to touchdowns. Uh, Zach Ertz, 8.5 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game dating back to last year. Obviously, you've got Kyler Murray under center for some of those. You've got be better quarterback situation, but then you also have the Colt McCoy stuff and whatever else the Cardinals were dealing with last season. So uh, it's really role driven, you know, it's carried over to this year. And so when we compare that to, you know, it's only 2.8 fewer points than TJ Hawkinson for 3K less in salary. So I like Hawkinson this week, but this is just to illustrate that Zach Ertz actually is as valuable as the field seems to think he is. And there's this tendency for sharp DFS players to poo-poo on the Zach Ertz play. But realistically, the in terms of like the production that's there and the usage that's there, yeah, maybe he's not catching a ton of passes downfield. Maybe he doesn't have that many opportunities for 40-yard gains. Like TJ Hawkinson, 
Most of his catches are going to be within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And then every once in a while, he'll have this 40-yard downfield catch. Same thing with Sam Laporta, where he's being used in a short area role, but he can catch this ball downfield or, you know, break some tackles and have a long run afterward. But in terms of how the production has actually shaken out, Zach Ertz is kind of right up there with these guys, especially from a salary considered standpoint. So uh, Zach Ertz is a very viable bring back on this roster. We also know that the tight end spot is difficult to fill. And so one of the ways to fill it is always just to tie it into your game environment bets, because then what happens is if Stafford actually is a tournament winning quarterback, which once you're putting him on this roster, we're essentially making a bet that he is a tournament winning quarterback on this roster. So if he is a tournament winning quarterback, that would mean he's throwing for over 300 yards as a primarily a pocket passer, over 300 yards and at least three touchdowns. That gets you up to 27 DraftKings points, possibly four touchdowns. Cooper Cup, 9K, I guess that matters a little bit less because his production can come in games where the Rams are scoring a lot or not scoring a lot. But just the fact that we have Stafford on this roster, we're then saying, hey, on this roster, we're saying Stafford is a tournament winner. We're saying the Rams score minimum three touchdowns potentially four touchdowns with all of them coming through the air. And if they're scoring four touchdowns through the air, that might mean five total touchdowns for the team. Maybe they're not all coming through the air, right? In other words, we're painting a picture of our best scenario for Stafford being a tournament winner is the Rams scoring a lot of points. And if the Rams are scoring a lot of points, the Cardinals are having to throw and Zach Ertz is piling up some volume. So coming off the game where he only had, actually, let's look at this. He only had four targets. Uh, but we've also seen a 10 target game the week before. We've seen an eight and 10 target game in here. So I'm not overthinking that lower target game from last week. I know Trey McBride was involved. Jeff Swain was involved. Uh, they were getting all the tight ends some work last week. But Zach Ertz is an interesting way to bring back uh, and fill out this tight end spot on this particular roster. Uh, after this, a few places we can go. We could go to defense next to get a sense of what our salary looks like, but because there's a 4K defense this week in the 49ers that I wouldn't mind playing, I don't want to just go straight to defense on this roster and, and box myself out of potentially getting up to that, that team. Uh, we could go to wide receiver and see what cheap wide receivers we're interested in, or we could go to running back and allow running back to kind of dictate what the rest of our roster looks like. So I'm going to go to running back on this. And as I've been digging into this week, the, the thing that's really stood out to me is, yes, you have Christian McCaffrey, always in play. We also know that last week was the first time since he joined the 49ers that he topped, I think it was 34.1 DraftKings points. Uh, he hadn't topped 34.1 since he joined the 49ers. Still excellent scores, right? But in terms of paying 9,500 and then in one of the worst matchups you can have with the Browns being first in pass defense DVOA, third in run defense DVOA, uh, not the best spot for Christian McCaffrey to put up a 35-pointer. Um, he's cracked... 30 points four times since he joined the 49ers. So not again, not poo-pooing on Christian McCaffrey as a play, as a player. Uh, typically he is still excellent, even though you're kind of overpaying for him because again, those 30 point scores are valuable. You lock in a 30 point score and then, you know, you find a 4,800 guy who scores 25 or 30. Well, all of a sudden you're, you know, it doesn't matter that you spent a little bit extra for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, you're getting the points that you need for, from your roster as a whole. Uh, but on this particular week, I don't mind kind of skipping over Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, there is the argument that great 49ers defense, P.J. Walker under center for the Browns, a Browns offense that really hasn't put everything together, might actually look better with P.J. Walker than they have with Deshaun Watson. But uh, you could say, hey, a lot of short short fields, and maybe Christian McCaffrey scores three or four touchdowns. But that's kind of what you're banking on. It's less likely that he has a big yardage and touchdown game. So 
at least on this roster, I'm comfortable just kind of skipping over him. And then we realize that we really just have this range of, you know, obviously you've got Chuba Hubbard down at 4,300. Uh, you potentially have Amari Di Mercado for the Cardinals, depending on whether or not Keontae Ingram comes back. If Keontae Ingram comes back, you kind of don't know how that backfield is going to be split up. Ingram is probably the starter, but probably doesn't see the full James Conner workload. So that, that becomes a little bit more of a stay away type of spot. Not to say that I'm, I'm boxing myself into not playing that, but when you're just thinking through it, right, that's how you think through it and say, okay, I'm probably that's, that's less attractive. So maybe I'll have some of that, but that's some higher risk stuff. And if you're taking on that risk, you want to be able to get not just a, a good salary multiplier, but 25 plus points, right? Where you're really gaining an edge. And what are the chances of that from one of these guys uh, when James Conner hasn't done that in the, the sort of full-time role yet this season and uh, only did it a couple times last year. So that becomes a less attractive spot. You could go down to Chuba Hubbard. Hubbard is a guy who you say, look, his best career game is 21.4 DraftKings points. And that's with full-time roles in this offense. So, you know, he's gone through stretches where he's been the guy. So his chances of blowing the slate away are pretty low. But at 4,300, if you get 14 points, 16 points, again, that's not helping you in a tournament. But if it frees up the salary for other spots, that can be useful. There's some other cheap guys at wide receiver who might actually have higher ceilings than Chuba Hubbard, but you could go that direction. Uh, but the main place to focus on this slate appears to be uh, this sort of range of, uh, from David Montgomery, 7,300 down to uh, DeAndre Swift at 6,100. So tune into the player grid for my thoughts on individual running backs from this pool. I don't want to spend uh, too much time on this. I've got uh, it's 1040 on the West Coast. I've got my show with Pete Overzet live at 11, and I try to get out of here a little bit early so that um, there's not internet overlap with, with this video being sort of uploaded and, and that one starting. But um, so I, I won't spend a ton of time on these individual pieces, but I will say I really like DeAndre Swift. Check out the player grid for my thoughts on DeAndre Swift this week. And all of these guys, uh, and, and with DeAndre Swift, I'll give you a hint. It's the pre-touchdown fantasy scoring. It's a limited sample size with the you know, only four games where he's been the lead back of the Eagles, but he's very clearly underpriced right now for where he should be priced and, and what his role is and what his expected production is before touchdowns. And then, you know, if the touchdowns come, he can end up with a monster game, uh, especially, you know, price considered and, and position considered where we're not getting many 30 pointers from the running back position in this age of NFL running backs. So uh, DeAndre Swift, 6,100, very interesting. Uh, other guys who I like, uh, Bijan Robinson, you know, not against Travis Etienne. He's one of those guys who he's not as good of a play as the field thinks, but he's still a good play. Uh, Bijan Robinson, Josh Jacobs, just from a workload standpoint, Alvin Kamara, uh, really sharp play given the way he's being used in the matchup that he has this week. Uh, Kenneth Walker, very much not as sharp of a play as the field tends to think, but still a solid play. Uh, Kyron Williams, Raheem Mostert, and then sort of fringe stuff on uh, this Indianapolis backfield where it's like, man, Zach Moss hit against Baltimore, hit against Tennessee. Running backs don't hit against those teams. Running backs don't hit against Jacksonville. But what if one of these two backs is getting 70% of the touches? There's certainly opportunity for one of these two guys to have a big game. Uh, I won't be messing around with that on like a large chunk of my rosters, the Colts backfield. I won't be messing around with that on this roster. Let's go ahead and lock in. So what I'm kind of doing right now is building a favorite plays roster here. Uh, lock in Alvin Kamara. So favorite plays roster 
again, these are, this is the show. When we do the show with Keegan, it's part of, part of it's like him leading things and me answering questions and him being able to explore the slate the way that he explores the slate and me being able to guide him and say, Hey, like, here's another angle to approach things here. Here's how to think about things here. And um, so those rosters kind of become sometimes it's like a roster that you might use in a large field tournament. Maybe you wouldn't hand build it for a smaller field single entry. Uh, at this point in my own week, my practice builds are more about not necessarily that, that I'm going to put in the roster that is just a favorite plays roster when I'm when I'm sort of entering things, but it's more about I want to start getting a sense of what my favorite plays rosters look like so that when I'm building out my player exposures on Saturday night or shopping through my 150 rosters on Sunday morning for my favorite single entry three max options that I'm able to have a good understanding of who I feel the top plays are on the site or the highest probability plays are on the slate. And that kind of helps me to build up my exposures accordingly and to spot rosters that look really sharp to me. So uh, Alvin Kamara um, is kind of a, a, to me, again, look at the player grid for this, but he's kind of like a notch above some of these other guys. And then uh, Bajan Robinson, Josh Jacobs are kind of in the next tier, I think is how I have things set up. And then uh, maybe maybe Kamara's in the same tier as those guys. And then uh, Kyron Williams, Raheem Mostert are kind of the next guys for me in this group. And then, and then some of these other guys are also in my pool, but not at as high of a level. So um, right now we have kind of a favorite plays type of setup. We have only 4,600 per position left in salary. So at this point, what I want to do is I want to first off go to one other favorite play, and this is Drake London at 4,800. So throw out his zero point week one game. And Drake London has played eight games with our boy Desmond Ritter. And in those eight games, I'm scrolling to try to find this in my notes. Um, in those eight games, Drake London has averaged 12.2 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. So if you were paying close enough attention to some of the 6K wide receivers that we mentioned above. Maybe we didn't mention them. They're mentioned in the player grid and what I've already written up. So yeah, I actually haven't mentioned them yet. Um, but DK Metcalf. So again, 12.2 for Drake London in his eight games with Desmond Ritter. You know, if we throw out the zero pointer. Uh, DK Metcalf, 11.8, priced up in the 6K range. T Higgins, 11.9 last year. Uh, DK Metcalf is since Geno Smith took over under center, 11.8. T. Higgins, 11.9 last year. Michael Pittman, since the start of last year, 12.5. Uh, and so when we go through those numbers, you see like Drake London's 12.2 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game really stands out here at this 4,800 price tag. So now we have kind of a favorite plays type of roster here. And what I want to do next is I'm either going to be going with like the 49ers defense and then kind of stuck with like, there's not really a 3K wide receiver I like. We could go to John Mechie and take a swing there. We could recognize this is a favorite plays roster. This is pretty high probability bets across the board. And so going to a guy like John Mechie, who's 3,100 and like might totally miss or might hit, or going to a guy like Jonathan Mingo, who uh, is on the field pretty much all the snaps, has a game with five targets, a game with six targets, a game with seven targets, a game with eight targets. Uh, at a price tag of, a, I think he's 3,500. I mean, that's pretty good usage, 3,500. Um, you see he's averaging 6.1 DraftKings points per game. He has no touchdowns on the year. So those are his pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. So 6.1, not elite, but the usage is there for him to sort of pop for something bigger 
at some point. Uh, again, John Mechie, it's sort of tough to say for certain because Noah Brown started week one, uh, has definitely lost that job to Tank Dell. Noah Brown got hurt week one. Tank Dell stepped in, uh, started has started since then. And um, as we said, heading into week two, Noah Brown was not going to get the starting job back once Tank Dell stepped onto the field. But Tank Dell concussed, almost certainly missing this game. Noah Brown is back. So do the Texans say, hey, it's it's John Mechie has shown us enough that it's time for him to step on the field for a larger role? Or do they say, let's go back to what we had week one with Noah Brown and Robert Woods and Nico Collins. And then the matchup isn't great on top of that. So you do have like a non-ideal setup on John Mechie in that you have to get the playing time right. Like, yep, you're guessing on the playing time and maybe it's not there. And then even if you get the playing time right, you need the usage to be there in a tough matchup. And then you need the production to be there on the usage in a tough matchup. Again, at 3,100 on a favorite plays type roster where I feel really pretty confident in the plays across this build, that's not a bad direction to go. Uh, Other directions we can go are KJ Osborne, you know, averaging only 7.7 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game dating back to the start of last year in this Kevin O'Connell era. Uh, Not elite, but missing Justin Jefferson. And that's a lot of production spilling over to uh, Jordan Addison, KJ Osborne, TJ Hawkinson. Uh, Another thing we want to think about too is there are guys, there there are offenses. So sometimes we're betting on players and sometimes we're betting on offenses. Um, so the, the Jags actually, this is pretty crazy. Uh, the, the Jags looks like Zay Jones will miss again. So you got Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, Evan Ingram, and most of the targets in the past game, we're going to go to those three, uh, last week, Brandon Powell saw a surprising number of targets for the Vikings, but more than likely, most of the targets for the Vikings are going to go to Jordan Addison, KJ Osborne, TJ Hawkinson. The three player block on the Vikings, the three player block on the Jags cost exactly the same. I believe it's 16.6K in combined salary. Uh, in terms of, we'll kind of see when we go through these pre touchdown fantasy points per game, that if you're getting more than 2X your salary in pre touchdown fantasy points per game, you're in pretty good shape, right? The, the, uh, Cooper Cup, 21.3 at 9K in salary, 21.3 dating back to the start of last year, 19.5 last year. Drake London, 4,800, 12.2 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. Uh, Zach Ertz, 3,600, 8.5 pre-touchdown DraftKings points per game. So when you're getting up into these like over 2X, that's pretty nice. Well, the whole, the entire Jags block that costs 16.6K is averaging 37 pre-touchdown DraftKings points. And that's with Zay Jones on the field for whatever it's been two and a half games on the season. So uh, when you look at it like that, you can say, hey, one of these three players is probably going to have a really nice game this week against an Indianapolis defense that gave up 100 yards to Calvin Ridley. They gave up 140 yards to DeAndre Hopkins. They gave up over 160 yards to both Puka Nakua and Nico Collins. Uh, So one of Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Calvin Ridley is probably going to end up having a really nice game. So what I like to do in spots like that is it might be hard to know which of those guys is going to have a really nice game, but I can mix and match those three pieces across a lot of rosters. I'll talk about that in the angles podcast and in the player grid as well. Uh, Same thing with the Vikings this week. You know, it's, it's like 45 pre touchdown DraftKings points per game with Justin Jefferson and losing Jefferson lowers the production that you're going to get from that passing attack a little bit, but it should still kind of come out to that like, 36, 37 point range 
the same as, as the Jags over time, right? Justin Jefferson misses four games across these four games. Uh, we should kind of have these three players combining for somewhere in that range of points. So again, same salary. You could take one piece of those on every roster. And so I say all that to say, at this point, I could just put in the 49ers defense and then say, all right, let me try to fit in the pieces. Or I could say, hey, who are two guys who I really like in this spot this week? And then sort of see what that leaves me for defense. So just talked about those two offenses. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw in a piece from each offense. I'm going to recognize that my that my um, rosters are going to look different, right? But that a lot of my rosters are going to have one of these three pieces from the Jags, one of these three pieces from the Vikings. So on this one, I'm, I'm not that worried about which pieces they are. I'm not saying, oh, I think Calvin Ridley's going to have the big game. I think Evan Ingram's going to have the big game. I think Christian Kirk's going to have the big game. I'm just saying, hey, one of these three guys probably has a big game uh, or a really nice price considered game at, at worst. It's kind of impossible to know exactly which one it will be. So I'll just keep mixing and matching them. So on this roster, I'm just working with salary. I don't care which guys I pick. Uh, I just care that it works, right? On the uh, Viking side, this leaves us, you know, right now we've got 8,200 in salary and we have wide receiver and defense remaining. So we could go KJ Osborne and that would put us at kind of a weird salary spot where we would be like 3,700, um, 3,800 left for defense, which is um, doesn't really give us much to work with. At the same time, if we go to the, if we go to Jordan Addison, that gives us 2,500 left for defense. So what we want to do is kind of look and see um, well, who's available at 3,800 and Osborne's obviously a lesser play than Addison, just in terms of talent, Osborne could have the better game that won't surprise us, but he's the underdog to have the better game. So do we gain, if we're playing Osborne, do we gain a significant favorite at the defense special teams position by playing Osborne? That's how I would ask this question. Um, so the defense that we would get if we play Addison, we've got 2,500. Uh, the defenses I would look to are basically, there's one, it's the Buccaneers, uh, 2,300. And the Buccaneers, let's go through this, uh, 12 sacks, six picks, four fumble recoveries, uh, DraftKings points on the season. We've got nine against a really good Minnesota offense. We've got 17 against uh, a, what was at the time, a struggling Chicago defense. We've got five against a really good Philadelphia offense. And we've got 13 against a not bad Saints offense. Now we have the Bucks coming off the bye, playing the Lions on where the Lions are going to be on the road. The game's going to be at home for the Bucks. Lions are not as good on the road. So this is actually a really interesting defense where you're probably getting five, six points, even if things don't go your way, but there is an opportunity to potentially get up to seven, eight, nine points. So then the question is, is there a defense up here where you're like, yeah, but this one could get me 15 to 20. And I feel pretty good about that. Uh, up here, there's really nothing that just like jumps off the screen outside the 49ers who we don't have the salary to get to without kind of changing the entire structure of this roster. So on this particular roster, what I'm actually going to do then is play that Buccaneers defense. And that's going to leave us with 5,900 in salary. Uh, Adam Thielen, another guy I like. I think his role this year that we've seen so far is very real. We could actually go with Adam Thielen and just say no Vikings on this particular roster. But the whole conversation was around, all right, how do we fit one of these Jags pieces, one of these Vikings pieces? So I'm going to throw Jordan Addison onto this roster. And what we end up with is not necessarily that Addison and Kirk are individually high confidence pieces, but they're the block that they're coming from is relative, each of them is relatively high confidence. And so you get a piece from each of those high confidence blocks. You have a high confidence Stafford plus Cup plus Ertz 
starting point on this roster. You have two high confidence running backs. You have a high confidence, some likely to be like not super high owned wide receiver in Drake London. Uh, and then you rounded out with the Buccaneers defense. So that gives you a look, uh, went, went five minutes over time. That gives you a look at how I go about, I'll actually save that lineup. I kind of like it. Um, how I go about building my practice builds at this point in the week, Friday morning on my end, um, and, and really start trying to get closer to, again, not to say that I'm going to be super fine and ultra controlled and like, okay, so this is now what my single entry three max rosters look like, but I want to start my getting to a point in my practice builds where I'm seeing who are my higher confidence plays and how would I put them together on a roster? And that allows me to start getting a better sense heading into Saturday night of what I want my exposures to look like Sunday morning, what, what rosters will stand out to me as I'm shopping through and selecting my single entry three max rosters. So Hopefully that was helpful for you and gets you off on the right foot. Uh, check out the Angles podcast. Like I said, it might be recorded on video this week. In fact, this usually gets released after that. So you already know whether or not that was recorded on video. I do not yet know if it will be. Um, but yeah, I will see you on that. I'll see you on the player grid in the scroll on one week season. And I'll see you on the site throughout the weekend. I'll see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.